You picked a great Sunday to be at the gathering because when church is over, I'm getting in a car and going to the beach. So you know it's going to be a short sermon, right? Are you ready to receive? Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. Let's go, babe. I'll go a little bit longer. <laughs> oh, we are going to the beach. Um, and so next Sunday, um, Pastor Bridget's going to be preaching, which is great for y'all. I'm going to have to watch it online because, man, it's going to be awesome. Um, and then we'll be back the week after that. So, I mean, we'll be back next Sunday. So that was confusing. I'll be gone. I'll be at the beach for a week. Oh, my God, that was hard to say. Um, okay, so here we are, week three of, we're doing a series called Throwback. If you are here for the first time, what we're doing is uh, we're, we're just, you know what Throwback Thursday is? When people post those crazy pictures of how they used to look, and you're like, that was you? That's Throwback Thursday. So we're throwing back to the ancient wells. We're talking about what, what would it be like to reopen the ancient wells. There's a story in Genesis where Isaac reopened the wells that his father had dug. So he, his father Abraham dug these wells. And that's where they would get water. It's not like it is today. Like, if we want water, we just go to the store, we buy some water, right? But back in the day, they would dig a well. It would be like a community well. And so a lot of people would get water from that well. And so their enemies kicked dirt into the well, right? So that's, so Isaac reopened the wells that his father had dug. And if you read the story, you find out that he reopened the wells. And then the same enemies kicked dirt in his wells. And it was like... Well, fight, well, fight, and then finally he found wells that were in wide open spaces. So we're talking about four ancient wells that the early church reopened, that they had, and we want to get back to that. We want to go back, okay, what was God blessing in Acts chapter 2 that we should still be doing today? Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm going to ask you to stand up for this part of the message. I won't ask you to stand up for the other 18 verses that we have. And it's a lot, but you can just take notes on those. But these are our main verses. This is kind of where we're hanging out. It's Acts 42 through 47. Acts, 40, Acts 2, verse 42. These are, this is the verse that contains the four ancient wells, okay? So when we read these four things, that's what we're talking about for this series. And then verses 43 through 47 kind of talk about like if we devote ourselves to these four wells, we can expect to see something like what happened in verses 43 through 47 happen today. It won't be exactly like it was then, but in our time, in our day, God can do this again. Does that make sense? Okay, so here we go. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we did last week. And to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and sights performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God, we pray that you would do that again in our time, in our culture. We, we, have, we have not outgrown our need of what we just read. We are devoting ourselves to those ancient wells 
and trusting that as we do that, you would bless the church today like you blessed the church then. We receive it, God, and we anticipate it. We listen today with eagerness at what you're doing, and we devote ourselves to it. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, you can high-five somebody and have a seat. <laughs> some of y'all are like, did he really mean to high-five? You turn to somebody to high-five them, they didn't high-five you back, you hit him in the face, right? It's fun. Okay, so um, today, we're, last week we talked about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, which was basically to the Bible, right? We talked about being devoted to the Bible. Like, you would read the Bible, not just come to church once a week or maybe twice a month and have me read it to you, but you would read the Bible. You'd be devoted to that. And today we're talking about being devoted to fellowship. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever been to a fellowship supper? Raise your hand. Like, like at, at a church, like a covered dish supper, where you, um, you fix your best dish, you take it there, you put it out. Um, usually that's where all the people that didn't have time to cook bring Kentucky Fried Chicken or Bojangles. Yes? So chicken is blessed of God always. So we, you might call it a potluck dinner, covered dish supper. Every church has different names for it. Um, throw it out and grab, whatever you want to put, whatever you want to call it. That's not what this is. Okay, that, that's a, that could be a part of fellowship. But when we read that they were devoted to fellowship, I'm just going to teach you quickly how I study the Bible, and then maybe this will help you. And then we're just going to read a bunch of verses. So when you do, um, when you read a verse in the Bible, when I, like I read Acts 2.42 and I read the word fellowship, I want to know what that word means, right? It helps to know what things mean. So I'll, I use an app called Blue Letter Bible. You should jot that down. Blue Letter Bible. I think it's .com. might be .org. But if you just Google Blue Letter Bible, it'll come up. There's also an app that you can use. And so when you type in that verse, it'll show you what is the original language, the original word that is translated fellowship. So in, if it's New Testament, it's going to be Greek. If it's Old Testament, it's going to be Hebrew. So this is New Testament. So are you with me so far? This is like a master class in how to read the Bible, yes? So when you go there and I type in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I see the word for fellowship, I find out that the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Don't you feel smarter already? So then I find out that it's used in 18 verses in the Bible. So if you want to learn... Like get a flavor for a word, sometimes the best thing you can do is just read all the verses where that word is used. Are you tracking with me? So that's what I did. And it blew me away. All right, you got your notes, you got your stuff right down with. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses. They're all going to be on the screen. And we're literally going to do right now what I did as I prepared for this message. And the reason we're going to do it this way is because something weird happened as I was doing this. I got to one specific verse, and it was like God just said, that's all that we need for today. I've been asking you different questions each week. Like I asked you, like, are you, what are you devoted to? We know what they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. They were devo devoted to those four ancient wells. Last week, I asked you, like, are you devoted to the Word, right? Are we really devoted to the Word of God? It'll change our lives. And so today I feel like I've got to ask you, what are you devoted to when it comes to fellowship? We just got to read some verses to get there. Are you ready? You okay with the Bible? Good. I was starting to sweat. It's making me scared. Okay, here we go. First one is Romans chapter 15, verse 26. We're just going to read these. I might make a, a couple comments about each one. Romans chapter 15, verse 26. Right, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Paul's talking about an offering that they're receiving 
for the poor. And he's mentioning the churches in these two cities were happy to make a contribution. The word for contribution is koinonia. Right? Isn't that crazy? Like I read it and go, wow, that's so not chicken at a potluck. Like we, we've, we think fellowship, like let's just get together, hang out, and watch the Panthers win. Speaking in faith, right? We think like let's just get together. Let's, let's pair faces like a Panther and just cheer and go crazy, right? Let's go to the high school football game. Let's, let's go shopping together. Let's have fellowship. We just think of it like that. And then I read this and go, wait a second. Heck, they made a financial contribution to the poor, and the word for contribution is koinonia. Do you see how even we're one verse in, do you see how it already adds flavor and depth to the one word? Okay, good. I don't want to waste your time with the word of God. But I figured since last week we talked about the Bible, we could be devoted to it today. Yes? You good? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says that God is faithful, the God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That word fellowship is our word Koinonia. If you're making a note, I would just like you to jot this down. Koinonia only comes through Jesus. I'll show you that in Scripture in a little bit. Which is why a lot of people... Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by church. Mine is up. I'll put both up. It's amazing how we can get hurt by people that are in the same room with us when we all love Jesus. Yes? A lot of people will leave church fellowship because it hurts, but they will find fellowship like, um, I don't know, let's name some clubs. What clubs are there? Chess clubs, um, shuffleboard clubs. Do we have those around here? Um, they'll go, I'll just go shopping with people, or we'll eat and have, we'll, we'll go out on a regular basis and just have like a meal together, or um, I, I've been a part of the running club. Like we just, so people get together. Have you noticed this? We all get together. We get together with people who are a lot like us. But I'm just telling you that you'll never find koinonia in that fellowship group because it's not based in Jesus. It has to be about Christ for koinonia to happen. You can hang out with people and ha ha, chuckle, 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 raw, yeah, you can do all that stuff. But it can't be, you'll never have koinonia with somebody else who's not also in Christ. We just read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. He's called us into koinonia with his son Jesus Christ. So the place that you find koinonia is in Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16. How many of you have ever taken communion? Raise your hand, right? Some of you are like little cups. Some of you are like, we, here we do the big chunk of bread, right? Like get, get a lot of Jesus. However you take communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? The, the word for participation, our word koinonia. So we're three verses in, and here's what we've learned so far. You can only be devoted to koinonia with other people who were also in Christ because koinonia is found in Jesus. That if you're committed to koinonia, it might cost you something because apparently people who were committed to koinonia in the church gave an offering to help people that were poor. And here we just found out that, oh, it's not just hanging out with Jesus, it's actually a participation 
with Jesus. When we have communion, we are koinoniaing. Right? Who are you? I'm a koinonier thing. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Everybody take a deep, deep breath. Turn to the person next to you and say, he loves you, even though it sounds like this is going to be about you. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't know what I said. You were just like, <laughs> all right. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The word of God is an equal opportunity disruptor. Okay. We're not pointing you out. He's not pointing you out. This is just truth. I'm just giving you all of this because you've already read the verse, right? You've already read the verse and went, oh, snap, this ain't going to be fun. Check this out. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship, there's our word koinonia, can light have with darkness? Who? Like, do you, is it just me? But I feel like God's getting personal now. And like, listen, just to uh, equal opportunity disruptor, the church has preached that over and over and over again about marriage. It's about what koinonia can light have with darkness. Like, why are we looking for fellowship needs to be met by a culture that doesn't know Jesus? There are literally people who are like believers who don't want to be around believers. They'd rather hang out with non-believers. This is not about evangelism because we should definitely be hanging out with people who need Jesus. But they don't want to hang out with people who are believers. They'd rather hang out with people who are unbelievers because they don't like the way it feels in the body when there's conflict and it's hard and bleh, I'd rather hang out with these people because the bar is so much lower. I'd rather have fellowship with somebody who's doing things that I really am not supposed to be doing. And this is clear, y'all. If we're in koinonia with Jesus, we don't have koinonia with darkness. Well, it's getting good. We're getting there. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. They urgently, this is, um, we're picking up in the middle of a story about a grace gift that a very poor church wanted to give. And so Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, this is not really like offering shaming, but it feels like it. He's basically saying this, y'all got plenty of money. And here's a church that's poor, and let me tell you what they did, and here's our verse. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The word for sharing, our word koinonia. I'm telling you, it's so much more than a meal. It's so much more than chicken, right? This is like a bucket of chicken, and you're willing to share it with everybody. That's getting closer to koinonia because you're sharing it, right? This, this verse shows us that there is a financial aspect to giving. I, I was just curious. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's in here somewhere. So far to this, to this date, 124 families have partnered financially with our church this year. 124. That's fantastic, right? We appreciate that. 
part of that, that's, that's koinonia. So when you drop an offering into the, the boxes at the door, when you give online, you're koinoniaing. I'm making that a word. It's going to be a word before we're done today, right? You're, you're practicing koinonia when you give an offering. My, my guess is not many people in the room have ever even tied that with offering, right? So if we were to come to a covered dish supper and not really bring any food with us and then take home a whole bunch of food when we leave, we didn't practice koinonia because we didn't have any equal contributorship. I am making up words like crazy today. It's almost like I'm going to go to the beach later. I don't know. Like, there's, an, there's a sharing aspect to koinonia. Like, I'm so thankful for people who can bring big buckets of chicken, but if all I can bring is a bag of chips, I'm bringing something, right? Because I want to contribute. I want to share. I, I, I've told you, and I'll, I'll die saying this, and it'll just be what it is. If you're in business, you've heard of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, that, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And we all just accept that. And even in the church, we accept that. And I just hear that like 80% of the people in the church are disobeying God. Because we're all supposed to serve. <laughs> we're all supposed to share in this. That's what koinonia is. It's a partnership. Well, that's, I'm just an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> let's keep going. Um, let's see, where do we drop off? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 13, and you're going to see a theme about this sharing. He says this, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul's basically saying this to the Corinthian church. You said that you believe in the gospel, you proved it through your obedience and also through your generosity in sharing. That word sharing is koinonia. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Paul's wrapping up the, the letter and he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, koinonia, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I just think that's a fantastic verse because the Son... The Father and the Spirit are all mentioned there, and it's all about koinonia. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Are y'all good? You're like, how many more verses can there be? Only a few. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of koinonia, when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. I just think this is fantastic because they're trying to figure out how do we reach people who aren't Jewish. So the, just unpacking that verse, there's something about koinonia that it, it's somewhat of an official designation, right? Like the leaders of the church recognized the authenticity of what was going on in Paul's life, and they extended koinonia to them, which was way more than just, you know, like a secret church handshake, high five, fist, you're in. It was more than that. It was like, no, we're extending 
ourselves in Koinonia. You can come and be a part of what God's doing in us, and we're going to be a part of what God's doing in you. What I think is awesome about this, and this is very good for our church, is that they then went separate ways. Not because they were mad, but because they recognized, oh, you're called to the Jews and you're called to the Gentiles, and we are in partnership together. Now let's all break and go separate ways. It's like a football huddle. Anybody, anybody in the football? Okay, good, five of us. It's like in a football huddle, it's one huddle with 11 different jobs to do. And when they say break and go to the line, there's still one team. They got one mission, beat the snot out of the people across the line from us. Win this game, but they've got 11 different assignments to do. And if the right tackle doesn't pull and come this way and take on somebody on this side, then when they run the sweep and the running back's coming around, there'll be nobody to block the defender. Everybody's got a part to play, but they're, if, they're, if they're a unit, they're functioning in koinonia. They're partners, which is why I love this when that happens. I love when running backs or wide receivers, the sexy people on the team, can I say that in church? I just did say it. I know, I know. So we're all on the same page okay I love when they score a touchdown and they turn around and give the ball to like that big gnarly nasty sweaty offensive lineman who grabs the ball and he's like I don't know what to do with this but bam because what they're saying is I wouldn't have scored the touchdown if you hadn't blocked that person we're partners in this we share in this victory that's I mean it's not coin unless they're Christians but you know what I'm saying that's a picture of Koinonia. Look, I love preaching. Don't raise your hand if you don't like my preaching. I love doing this. But there'd be nobody here to listen to me if we didn't have people that greeted with an actual smile on their face. Right? Like, there, people are walking in, and our, our greeters are like, dude, it's so good to have you. And some of y'all were like, why are they hugging me on the first day? Because they're thrilled that you're here. And the way that they greeted you Gave you an expectation when you walked in here, and you're still here listening to this sermon because of that. When I get done with this, and we go out and eat, it's because we have a hospitality team that loves to serve people food. And you want to be around those people, especially when you're hungry. Yes? It's like, this is working out great. You love to serve food, and I love to eat food. This is beautiful, right? That's koinonia. And that's what's happening in Galatians chapter 2. He's like, look, we're going to go different places. We've got different calls, but we're on the same team. And we recognize the call of God in your life. We take it very seriously when people want to be planted in membership at the gathering. We also take it very seriously when people want to be planted at the gathering and never show up. Because that's not partnership. That's not koinonia, right? Like, our presence in this place matters. That's koinonia. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this is the passage that I read, and God just like, skirt, skirt, right? He just put the brakes on. He's like, we're done. This is as far as I got. I've got other verses I can read to you, but this is the one that stood out. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul says, I thank my God. Every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership 
in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that word partnership is our word koinonia. And when I read it, God simply said two things to me. He said, we don't ask what is permissible. We ask, what have I partnered with? Can you let that sink in for a second? What are you partnered with? What am I partnered with? Is it okay if we stick with money for a second? Not because I'm trying to kill you for money, but it's just an easy thing we can all explain. If, if I don't honor God with the first fruits of what I make, and again, go back and look on our website. You'll find this great illustration of with 100 bananas. It's fantastic. If God gives me 100 bananas, tithing would be giving him 10, right? And so if he gives me 100, we get all bent out of shape over the fact that we're supposed to give God 10. But if you take 10 bananas from a person with 100 and give it to somebody else, the person still has 90 bananas. God lets us keep 90 bananas, y'all, right? If I don't honor God in my finances, if we're not good stewards of our finances, by the way, side note, you know, in about a month, you're going to see people change, fixing the roof on our building. Praise God. Because how many of you were here the Sunday we had like seven trash cans in the lobby? Yes? Because John's back there and John runs the finance team, and they're great stewards of the, the resources that God brings through you to our church. And so we're going to get the, it'll be taken care of. Thank you, Jesus, right? If we don't honor God with what we've been given, then money, according to an Old Testament prophet, just goes through our pockets. There's holes in our pockets, right? If I'm not partnering with God for the gospel, and some of that is about money, y'all. There's just no way around it, right? If we don't partner with God for the gospel through our finances, then we have partnered with somebody. And usually the somebody is the mortgage company, the electric company, Netflix, Hulu, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, but never on Sunday, right? Like, none of those are bad businesses. They're terrible partners. And whatever we give to first, that's who we've intentionally chosen to partner with. Are you are y'all good so far? I mean, you can find another church, it's fine. I just I love you enough to say the truth. Like whatever we give to first, that's who we're partnering with. And so Paul is saying in Philippians that he has joy because the church in Philippians partnered in the gospel from the first day until now. They weren't arm twisted into it. They were like, we want to be a part of that. And that word for partnership is koinonia. What are we partnering with? As if I haven't been real enough. Some of y'all are partnered up with CNN. Some of y'all are partnered up with Fox News. Some of y'all are partnered up with 
an elephant, some of y'all are partnering up with a donkey. I'm choosing to partner up with a lamb. What are you partnered with? And we'll, we'll never, see, we'll never partner together for the gospel if we've already partnered other places. Some of us are trying to recover from pain in relationships because we didn't ask God who we should partner with, right? That partnership thing is huge. And this is not a shaming, I mean, don't, please don't take it as a shaming sermon. It's just reality check, right? Like, oh, God, I want to be careful who I partner with. And the best way to be careful about who you partner with is to partner with Jesus first. And if you partner with Jesus, we already read it, we have koinonia with the Son. That means we're also going to have koinonia with other people who have koinonia with the Son. That's a lot of koinonia. But when we do that, we've already partnered, so we can't partner anywhere else. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, that's koinonia, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 2 is only possible with people who are practicing koinonia with the Spirit and with the Spirit in each other. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Raise your hand if you love suffering. Cecil, I got you. I tricked Cecil into it. He was like, I love everything Pastor Paul says. No, we don't, we don't like suffering, do we? Check this out. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and koinonia in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I, I, I read that and go like, Paul, what were you thinking? Who wants to koinonia with suffering? Philemon 1.6, I pray that your partnership, your koinonia with, with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I don't know if you caught that or not, but what he just said was, if you don't koinonia... You're never going to really discover the depth of the salvation you've been given. So all the people, <laughs> we're all tempted to do this. I love Jesus, but people drive me crazy, right? I feel like there's a country song about that. God is good, people are something about beer being cold. I'm going to need Wendy to finish this sermon. <laughs> Y'all are like, go to the beach. We love Jesus, and then people can get on our nerves, right? And so I'm, I'm, I get it, totally get it. Sometimes it's like, God, just give me a mountain vista and some coffee and nobody with me, right? Y'all know I'm an introvert. That's heaven for me. But what, but what was just written here was that our partnership, our koinonia with others in the faith is what helps us to deepen our understanding of every good thing that we share in Christ. You just can't mature apart from koinonia in the body. You can't mature apart from koinonia in the body. Hebrews 13, 16. And do not forget to do good and to koinonia with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And then the last three verses are in 1 John chapter 1. 
verse 3 says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have koinonia with us, and our koinonia is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, if we claim to have koinonia with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Y'all, this just is like a dagger to my heart, right? Because we can't have koinonia in darkness. I mean, somebody's got to love us enough to tell us that, right? Thankfully, God did. He put it in the Bible. We, you can't have koinonia in darkness. Koinonia only happens in the light. Now, you know, after encounter, we're going to kick off community groups. And this is not a message to convince you to do community groups, but you should definitely be in one. Because that's one of the places that koinonia can get practiced. But let me give you a practical example. Do any of you have a friend, a relationship, and it seems like every time you talk to that person, you're the one always spilling your stuff, and they never really spill their stuff back? Anybody got friends like that? They're the answer people, right? They're like, let me tell you what you should do. And they never share their stuff. So you're always the vulnerable one, and they're never vulnerable back. Just, this is relationship advice that'll never last because at some point you will start to feel the tension that we just read about in first john chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 and you'll start to think like this do they ever have problems i mean how how jacked up am i that i'm always in i've always got problems and they never have problems and there'll be no trust in that relationship because you'll be like i know wait i know i know life they've got to have bad days do you know people that smile all the time? And you're like, this can't be real. I mean, it, it, I'm not saying it's not, but like at some point you're like, surely there are times that they don't cry, that they don't smile, right? You can't have fellowship when it seems like there are secrets. You can't have koinonia in the dark. That happens in the light. And so the best thing you can do to establish koinonia is what we did this morning after worship. Is you stand up and say, you know what? I've been where you are. I have been where you are, I know what you feel, and I'm on the other side, and I'm going to pray right now for you. I'm going to take the comfort that I was given, and I'm going to comfort you with it. You'll never have koinonia by saying this to somebody. Well, just love Jesus more. Although loving Jesus more is a good idea, right? You should, you should read the Bible. I bet you had not been reading the Bible. Have you been having your quiet times? That doesn't establish koinonia. That establishes I'm a lot better than you are. That establishes shame. What establishes koinonia is, you know what? I found that when I get into the Word, oh, man, God just begins to build me up. And sometimes it's tough to get in the Word, but when I do get in the Word, I'm so thankful that I did it. And then that person's like, oh, you think that could happen for me? Man, I know it can. And you walk out with a connection. That's koinonia, and that's what we want to be devoted to, right? I've, I've told you this before. I'll tell you this again, and then we'll pray, and we'll go eat some food. If all you do is come to church on Sundays, 
you're not going to last here. Because we want more than Sunday. I want more. I mean, I love to hear y'all sing. Man, that was good today, wasn't it? That's so good. Some of y'all were like, this person next to me has got a bad voice, and I still love it, you know? I love that. But what I really love is sitting at a coffee table or, or sitting with coffee on a couch or hanging out at your house or sitting around a dining room table and just talking about Jesus and life and how do we live this out? That's, that's what strengthens the church. And that's what we want here. That's what we're establishing here, koinonia. That's what we want to be devoted to. So let's take the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. And we're going to pray and go eat. We've got to go eat chicken. Are we having chicken? That would be funny if we had chicken today. I don't know. Jot this down. Without Christ, fellowship becomes a click. Without Christ, fellowship becomes a click. With Christ, fellowship becomes koinonia. Some of y'all are like, if I knew how to spell koinonia, I would write that down, right? Just spell it like it sounds, and you'll be wrong, but it's, you'll know what you mean. Koinonia is what keeps us from becoming cliques. And I want to pray over us that we would be committed to Christ first because that's where koinonia is established. If we're not committed to Jesus first, we'll never have koinonia with each other, right? So let's pray about that. And then let's commit ourselves to establishing fellowship with people based in Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of koinonia. I thank you for fellowship. God, I thank you for a church that is committed to this. And we don't want to just hang out together. We want to grow and be strengthened together. And so, Lord, I just pray over the gathering that we would be a people that are devoted to iron, sharpening iron. We'd be devoted to the way that, the, the kind of koinonia that lets roots dig down deep but also get entwined with one another and that our our souls would be enriched because of that god establish your koinonia in this place in jesus name amen